Section 9 of Snowball by Paul Anderson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Snowball by Paul Anderson. Section 9. Fundamental changes are seldom made consciously. Doubtless the man in the 5th century Roman street grumbled about all those barbarian immigrants, but he did not visualize the end of an empire. The Lancashire industrialist who fired his craftsmen and installed mechanical looms was simply making a profitable investment, and Westfield, Massachusetts, was only adopting temporary survival measures. They didn't even look overwhelmingly urgent. Government had not broken down. If anything, it was working abnormally hard. News came through. Ferocious air battles over the Canadian tundras, the Soviet armies rolling westward into Europe and southward into Asia, then pushed back with surprising ease and surrendering en masse as their own states collapsed behind them. It was turning out to be a war as remote and half-forgotten as Korea, and a much easier one, which lasted a few months, and then faded into a multi-cornered struggle between communists, neo-Tsarists, and a dozen other elements. By Christmas time, a shaky democratic confederation in Moscow was negotiating with Ukraine, the Siberian Convict Republic, and the Tatar Alliance. China was in chaos, and Eastern Europe was free. And while the great powers were realizing that they were no longer great, now that a vast capital investment in armament had stopped paying off, and while they sought to forestall world upheaval by setting up a genuine international army with strength to enforce the peace, life went on. People still had to eat. Arch stood by Hinkle's water mill in the early spring. The ground glistened and steamed with wetness underfoot. Sunlit clouds raced through a pale windy sky, and a mist of green was on the trees. Near him the swollen mill-stream roared and brawled. The wheel flashed with its own swiftness, and a stack of capacitors lay awaiting their charges. "'All right,' he said. "'We've got your generator going. But it isn't enough, you know. It can't supply the whole country, and power lines to the outside are down.' "'So what do we do?' asked Hinkle. He felt too proud of his new enterprise to care much about larger issues at the moment. "'We find other sources to supplement,' said Arch. "'Sunlight now, approximately one horsepower per square yard, if you can only get at it.' He raised a face grown thin with overwork, and with the guilt that always haunted him these days, up to the sky. The sun felt warm and live on his skin. "'Trouble is,' The potential's so low. We gotta find a way to get high voltage out of it before you can charge a capacitor decently. Now, let me think. He spent most of his waking hours thinking. It helped hold off the memory of men lying dead on a muddy hillside. When power was short, you couldn't go back to ox carts and kerosene lamps. There weren't enough of either. The local machine shop made and sold quantities of home-charging units small primitive generators which could be turned by any mechanical source, and treadmills were built to drive them. But this was 
only an unsatisfactory expedient. Accompanied by several armed guards, Arch made a trip to Boston. The city looked much quieter than he remembered. Some of the streets deserted even at midday, but a subdued business went on. Food was still coming into the towns, and manufactured goods flowing out. There was still trade, mail, transportation. They were merely irregular and slightly dangerous. Stopping at MIT, Arch gave certain of his problems to the big computer, and then proceeded to an industrial supply house. The amount of selenium he ordered brought a gasp and a hurried conference. It will take some time to get all this together, said a vice president, especially with conditions as they are. I know, said Arch. We're prepared to make up truck convoys and furnish guards. What we want you for is negotiation. The vice president blinked. But, good heavens, man, is your whole community in on this? Just about. We have to be. There's little help coming in from outside, so our area is thrown back on itself. Ah, the cost of this operation. Oh, we can meet that. Special assessment. Voted at the last town meeting. They don't care very much because money has little value and you can't buy more than the rationed necessities. And they're getting tired of going on short rations of power. I shouldn't say this because your proposal is a fine deal for us, but have you stopped to think both the REA and the private power concerns will be restoring service eventually, just as soon as civil order has been recreated? Arch nodded. I know, but there are two answers to that. In the first place, we don't know when that'll be, and if we don't have adequate energy sources by winter, we'll be up the creek. Also, we're building a sun power plant, which will cost almost nothing to operate. In the long run, and not so terribly long at that, it'll pay off. Bob Calhoun, who went on the Selenium convoy, reported an adventurous journey through hundreds of miles, where the gangs of extremists still ruled. But they seem to be settling down, he added. Nobody likes a bandit, and anyhow the state militias are gradually subduing them. Most of the rural communities, though, are striking out on their own, like us. It's going to be a big demand for selenium. Wistfulness flickered in his eyes. wonder if I can raise enough money to buy some stock. It'll take time, said Elizabeth. I know the sun power generator is simple, but you still can't design and build one overnight. As a matter of fact, fall had come again before Westfield's plant was in full operation. It didn't look impressive. Great flat screens on top of hastily constructed buildings, and inside these the apparatus to raise voltage and charge capacitors. But in conjunction with the water mill, it furnished more than enough electricity to run the county's machines. Arch was kept busy all that summer, directing, advising, helping. It seemed that everybody had some scheme of his own for using capacitite. Energy cost nothing and machinery could be built from junkyard scrap, if nothing else. Westfield was suddenly acquiring her own looms, mills, even a small foundry. Bob led a gang of young hellions who made an airplane and kept it aloft for days at a time. His father promptly confiscated it for the use of the civic guard, and after that there were no more surprise brushes with roving outlaws. An eyewitness report was brought in from the air. A clash between state troops and one of the robber bands, which still existed to the north. 
The gangmen had their own trucks and jeeps, their own guns, all operating off accumulators which could be charged at any of a thousand water mills. A rifleman could stop a tank, and aircraft were of limited value against guerrillas who crouched in brush and weeds. The battle was a draw, both sides finally retreating. Arch shuddered, alone with Elizabeth, and crept into her arms. Did I do that? he asked through his tears. Did I do that? No, darling, she said. One hand ruffled his disordered hair. Can't you forget that side of it? Think of what you have done with your own hands. Built this town up again, given its people more than they ever had before? He set his teeth. I'll try, he said. Somewhat later the government offered amnesty to those outlaws who had laid down their arms and come home. It had the desired effect. But they had enough of warring and insecurity. But Calhoun scowled. "'Tis a very bad precedent,' he said. "'Only a weak government makes such a move.' Oddly, Arch felt a lightning within himself. "'Maybe a weak government is what we need,' he answered. End of section 9